mRNA vaccines? What? How could that be simple for a child to understand? Here's the thing. So the way I created this lesson is that it's not just focusing on the vaccine itself. It's focusing on the story behind the vaccine, the science behind the vaccine, and the woman behind the science of the vaccine. Let me say that again. The woman behind the science of the vaccine. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. In the previous episode, Gordon spoke with Dr. Deborah Thompson about the importance of science communication and where it fits in the One Health approach. In the second part of the discussion, Dr. Thompson remains to share some actionable and practical tips you can use to become better science communicators from her book entitled The Art of Science Communication, Sharing Knowledge with Students, the Public, and Policymakers. This is where they left off. I wanted to ask you in the book as well, you, you, one of the quotes that stood out for me as one of the most impactful ones, and you know, it might be up for debate in some circles, but I'm hoping to get your, your thoughts on it. And the quote goes, it's not a person's fault if they don't believe in science. Many people would argue that in the age of information that we have today, where it's, it's accessible, everyone has, well, mo- a lot of people have, have the access to the internet, uh, that people can find factual information if they choose. Uh, so if it's not the fault of the person, uh, whose fault is it? You know, when I wrote that, and I reread the book several times before I published it, right? And it's self-published. So, uh, And I had a lot of scientists read this too, and a lot of engineers and uh, a lot of people working in policy, either on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., or, you know, lobbyists or people from on the outside. And some people mentioned that quote, and I thought it was well worth keeping in. And the thing is, it's because of the explanation of it. So can you say the quote one more time, and then I'll jump to the explanation. Absolutely. So the quote is, it's not a person's fault if they don't believe in science. So if you remember your years in primary school and secondary school, um, you may remember certain things, right? You could remember how it is actually in your school, or you can remember how your life was, your family life was uh, outside of school, say if your parents were getting divorced or whatever. Having a person believe um, and trusting a certain discipline has to do with going back to the um, relatability of the message. That is incredibly important. It's not a person's fault to be distracted, um, not prioritize science in their life, right? We all have our things in our lives. We all have our strengths. We all have our areas for improvement. I'd rather say that instead of weaknesses. We all have our priorities and we all certainly have our interests. Does everybody need to be interested in science? No, but should everybody understand science? Yes. And what's the difference? I like to say, instead of saying convincing anybody, it's better to say educate somebody. Because it's ultimately up to them if they are open to changing their perspective. If they want to take that next step and explore a little bit more. 
as long as it feels like it's in a safe space. And that's where it comes down to relatability. So if you are in elementary school and primary school and you just don't like the teacher that teaches science, right? Or you don't like the hour of the day that it's taught and you're sleeping through class, right? There are so many different reasons why you could not have an interest in science from the get-go. I think it's also worth saying, is something what you said is, is it really our fault as adults because we have the internet to access? We have so many other things. But the same thing comes up. Is it really an interest? Probably not if it's not from an interest, you know, when somebody's young. Um, is it a priority? Probably not if it's from an earlier age. But what you can leverage as a scientist, as a STEM advocate, um, is really that ultimately, if you understand your audience, you'll see what they're curious about. You'll see what their passions are. You'll see what their interests are. And then once you understand your audience, then you can tailor the science message to meet their needs. So it's not like they have to come to you to approach science and understand science and recognize it. You have to go to them, immerse yourself in their life, understand um, their, you know, their culture, their history, where they're coming from. What are the um, points that they might be concerned about? Or is it just that they're too shy to ask for a further explanation, right? And with Toastmasters, um, I learned that one of the best ways to communicate is to start by actively listening and staying silent. Listen to understand, not to reply. You got it. And I listen with my ears and I listen with my eyes. I look at body language. I look at if people are shuffling around. And if they do shuffle around, at what point do they do it? Is it a time thing? Have they been speaking for too long? Or is it that the new topic that's being approached is making them uncomfortable? You see what I mean? And then I have to think, why would they be uncomfortable? And then from there, you have to approach um, science in a way that doesn't step on their, um, say, step on the eggs, <laughs> eggshells, um, but deliver in a way that piques interest and piques curiosity and furthers the conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, so far you've done a great job, you know, expressing uh, how important it is to, to be a better science communicator wherever you are in your journey of being able to communicate science everyone can improve uh you talked about the overall benefits to society in general from improving the way we do science communication and for those people who are listening who have been convinced to take the next step to learn a little bit more about how to be better science communicators in your book you all you present a lot of actionable and practical tips about how to do so uh, so one of the things that I that stood out again for me engaging with your book is when you said, if you cannot explain your work to a child, you cannot explain your work effectively. And this is this kind of challenged me a bit because myself and maybe many other people might assume that children uh, are not capable of digesting you know, complex scientific concepts. So if you try to explain something and are not really understanding, it's because of deficits on their side. They're, they're just not, their brains are not developed enough to understand what I'm saying. 
but you actually put the onus on the person communicating the science. So talk about that for a bit. Okay, so complicated science, you know, say something like One Health in a pandemic, for instance. It's complicated. I get it. I recognize it. But does it have to be complicated in the mind of a child? No. You have to translate that in your own self, in your own brain, before you explain how management of a pandemic is for a child. So the way you could do that, and we actually, uh, with One Health Lessons, I know we're not going to be talking about One Health Lessons, the organization very much, but uh, on OneHealthLessons.com, you can see that just recently we published a new lesson that I created about the COVID vaccine. And that in itself can be complicated. mRNA vaccines? What? How can that be simple for a child to understand? Here's the thing. So the way I created this lesson is that it's not just focusing on the vaccine itself. It's focusing on the story behind the vaccine, the science behind the vaccine, and the woman behind the science of the vaccine. Let me say that again. The woman behind the science of the vaccine. So it's telling her story. And I don't know if the audience knows about Catalin Carrico. She is an incredible incredible scientist who was focused on mRNA research, messenger RNA research from the 1970s. She tried countless times to get grants, um, unsuccessfully, way too many times, over many decades. She actually was demoted because she was not able to get those grants. After many decades of never giving up while people were making fun of her, people were telling her, you know, just quit. You know, other people would have just quit science altogether, being so fed up with so much rejection. But she saw that messenger RNA is really the instruction for proteins. And proteins give a cell or a living thing like a, a well, viruses can be living or cannot be living, depending on who you talk to, um, but gives function to living things. And if you can change the function of something within a cell, or say the spike protein on the outside of that coronavirus that we're all worried about, then that is a whole lot of power. And she recognized that from the get-go. People said, no, it's not possible. Don't bother, you know, advancing medicine or, or vaccines in this regard. She did not give up. Long story short, she eventually partnered up with another scientist who believed in her message. She met the guy in a photocopy room, just in an office building at University of Pennsylvania. She just started to hap happen to have a conversation with a guy while she was waiting to do photocopies. And she was talking about mRNA. He's like, yeah, that's fascinating. Let's talk some more. All of her research over the last several decades, it's because of that research that we were then, we as in the world, was then able to get the mRNA vaccines up and running so quickly. So when people say, you know, oh, you know, I don't necessarily trust this or that. Well, it's because they don't know the backstory, right? And what is one thing that everybody can relate to, regardless of what culture you're in or where you are on this planet? It's rejection. 
right? You, you can't live long enough on this planet without being rejected. Everybody knows that feeling, but also everybody understands the importance of perseverance. And this story of Dr. Catalina Carrico is relatable. And so that's how through her story, we educate kids about what is messenger RNA? What is the purpose of a protein? What is the immune system? And what are vaccines? And, you know, from there, they can educate their own parents. And that's what I've been seeing with One Health Lessons around the world, which is pretty cool. That's, I, I did not know that either. And I would say the first thing that came to my mind is if you were to ask Dr. Carrico, well, the mRNA vaccines were developed fast enough, she would probably keckle and laugh that, boy, you wouldn't. If I told you the story of how long it took, you know, to get grants and stuff implemented, you would see that it took a very long time. So like you said, that story allows someone who might be questioning that, gives them a different perspective to see uh, because you weren't aware of something doesn't mean that's the reality of how things happen. And I would say for myself, uh, being from a microbiology, immunology background, using mRNA in a vaccine makes total sense now. The conditions in which she was doing her research many years ago were different than what it is now, and there were probably more obstacles to get that done. So putting a lot of those things into context allows you to see that science is, is very complicated and it's a difficult concept to grasp a lot of times. You know, Gordon, I'm so happy you said that because that's the next step of the conversation. You introduce the story and then people ask, well, why were people making fun of her? Like, why were people saying to give up? And then you can talk about, well, cold chain, how, because mRNA is a single strand, often called a single strand, right? And it's so delicate. And any type of heat can, what we call denature, right? Mm -hmm. Or denature protein, but you know, it can break apart something so fragile. But with our technology now, we have the capability of it. So she, with all of her research, she got us here, technology got us here, and bam, we win. That, that's a great, and I didn't know we'd spend so much time talking about this, but it's super interesting because when you hear um, people questioning the speed at which the mRNA vaccine was developed, uh, what often gets brought up is, oh, well, the mRNA technology existed and um, that that allowed us a platform to build upon. But not only, like you're saying, it's not only the mRNA technology itself from a scientific perspective, but you you had to have technology for cold chain storage to enable that uh, research to be viable. Uh, so like it's a lot of moving pieces that people aren't just uh, familiar with. And I would consider myself, you know, very science literate and most of what you've just mentioned i was not aware of myself so i can just imagine people who are not even interested in science to be able to find that information yeah and can i just say now we're talking about technology engineers you know mm. physicists and we're talking about biochemists she's a biochemist and then we talk about veterinarians because a lab a lab animal it's the one health approach right so that's why One Health Lessons has this COVID vaccine lesson in there because it just ties everything back together. Wonderful case study of, of One Health, the One Health approach <laughs> and the One Health concept yeah. and approach, I would say. So the takeaway from this is that children or anyone in, of that matter who has language, whatever that language is, can be taught uh, science. 
And, and you make this case in this podcast, you make the case in the book. Now, how do we actually go about doing this? Are there some practical tips that we can use to go about speaking to children about uh, science? Yeah, absolutely. And can I just say, kids are pretty honest. It could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what level of ego you have. <laughs> Me, I don't have one. So I just tuck and roll, right? I just roll with the punches. Um, but if kids are bored, they show you. If kids don't understand, they ask. It's not always the case with adults, especially adults of greater influence and power. If they don't understand something, they don't necessarily ask because they don't want to look like they don't, you know, they're not catching it. But the thing is, it's not their responsibility to know these things. It's your responsibility as a science advocate or a STEM advocate to understand the target audience and meet the needs of that target audience and translate your hard knowledge, right, into something that's palatable. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.